good evening. Again, to you, if you would, turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark, I can get this stuff going. Mark, oh, I need to get there myself. Mark chapter 4. And out of respect for the word of God, would you please stand? Mark chapter 4. Beginning in verse 1. And he, Jesus, be began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. It came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. The fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty and some sixty and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted, and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then shall ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirty fold, some sixty, and some an hundred. Amen. Thank you for standing. Please be seated.
Let's pray together. Our Father, how thankful we are again that we have the privilege not only of reading your word, praying your word, and singing your word, but hearing your word preach. Help us now, our Father. Help us to be an encouragement to all this evening. But above all, may Jesus be magnified. Come and help us, we pray. Hear our cry. Take my tongue and do with it what only you can do. Speak to your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. No one would deny, well, I probably shouldn't say it that way in our day and age, but I'm going to say it. No one would deny that Jesus Christ is a master teacher, skillful and powerful. His method of teaching included storytelling and powerful illustrations. His messages were crafted as hook and grab messages. They hooked you and they grabbed you. When he spoke in the audience of tax collectors, he spoke of creditors and debtors. In other words, Jesus knew his audience and how to communicate to it and to them. When speaking in the company of fishermen, he used a picture of a net cast into the sea to speak of the kingdom. When speaking among those that had livestock, he spoke of goats and sheep to show the distinction between the children of God and the children of the world. Jesus was a master teacher, and his messages were penetrating and required his listeners, his hearers, to give full attention. So I want to speak to you this evening about the importance of receiving and heeding the word. Receiving and heeding the word. You've had many sermons from this place. A lot of sermons, more sermons probably than we can actually count. More teachings on various subjects, doctrine. But have we not only received the word, but heeded the word? Just a quick backdrop to this, this parable. Jesus' primary ministry was around the Galilee area. He would go forth throughout the cities preaching the gospel, the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God. After he entered into the synagogue and healed the man that had a withered hand, it stirred up what? Anger. Anger against him among the Pharisees. When he cast out demons, it brought a charge <clears throat> toward him from the Pharisees that he is Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And after discovering that the Pharisees were plotting to kill him, Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the Sea of Galilee. Galilee. And as he was sitting, a great multitude gathered unto him, and he entered into the ship. That's the backdrop to this parable. He drew crowds because he was very popular. Jesus was not a boring preacher. I may be a boring preacher, but Jesus was not a boring preacher. 
Now let's see the purpose of this parable or the purpose of a parable. Generally speaking, when we think of a parable, we just think of a story. I was, I was told when I, when I first was converted that, that a parable is, is a, a, a earthly story with a heavenly intent. We generally think of it as a short story with spiritual meaning or undertone. <clears throat> but I think it's, it's much more than that. I think a parable, at least the parables that Jesus would give, is designed first to set forth the kingdom of God. There's no parable that Jesus gives that doesn't have the kingdom of God in it. The kingdom of God in reality, he never speaks, as I said, a parable without God being in view. It's God's authority and God's demand. Secondly, I think a parable was used not only so that we would see the kingdom of God in it, but that you would see yourself in it. That's his design. When he gives the parable, you are to see the kingdom of God and yourself and respond. It functions, if you will, as a mirror so we can look into it and see where we stand in relation to God. It's kingdom focus, but it's also focused upon you. The parables always have God's demand in view and the listeners in view. Let me see if I can give a quick example of this, and you'll see what I'm talking about, why I'm making that point. Nathan said this to David. There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nursed up, and it grew up together with him. And with his children, it did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spread, he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was to come unto him. But took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled. Against the man. Now, Nathan didn't say, hey, David, you know, that's, I'm just making the story up. He didn't say that. He, I, I'm just telling you a story. And immediately, David responded with anger. He said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. That was a righteous judgment. Shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you're that man. The parable is designed for you to see yourself in it and make a judgment call. And David made a judgment call. He condemned himself. It had to do with the sin with Bathsheba and the killing of Uriah. That's 2 Samuel chapter 12. Listen to what Jesus said. There was a certain householder who had planted a vineyard and hedged it about and digged a wine press in it and built the tower and led it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruit of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he said unto them, 
his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? Listen to their response. They say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen. That's a good judgment. Which shall render him the fruits in their season. And when the chief, well, Jesus went on to say other things. That when the chief Pharisees and priests, well, actually chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. It's designed for you to see yourself in it, the parables. So we have the backdrop. We have the purpose of a parable and a parable setting. We have Palestine. Dry mouth and a dry brain. That's a bad combination. Palestine, the land of Canaan, is primarily a farmland. And this is the area that Jesus is in. It's not, it's not like our area, so to speak. We didn't have a supermarket, a Publix that you can go to. You had to plant and grow things. That was your food. So it's this, it's this farmland that they have. Not a food processing society like we have right now. You know, we eat things that, well, really not food. But we eat them anyways. It was rocky land filled with limestone. The farmer had to plow the ground with either a a donkey or ox or oxen to break it up, to loosen up the soil so that he could sow the seed. And this was done during the fall or winter seasons. He did not have a John Deere that he can hook on the back, kind of spread the seeds out. No, he had a little pouch, and he went out and he threw the seed like this. That's how he tossed the seeds. He couldn't stay in. The sluggard could not stay in. Well, sluggard would stay in for reason of the cold. But the farmer had to plow his field and then scatter the seed, and as he scattered the seed, there was a place called the wayside, old beaten path, and some of the seed would go over on that beaten path, and the birds would be hanging out in the tree, and the birds would swoop down. Other times, as he walked up, he would scatter that seed. The field would be, sometimes the field would be plowed after him. Jesus actually has told us, it's one of the few times that Jesus actually explains what his parables actually meant. I'm glad he did. We probably would have said, what in the world is he talking about? That's what the disciples did. But Jesus made it plain that the word, the seed, is actually the word. And he tells us that the different grounds, the wayside, stony, thorny, and good ground represents the hearers of the word. And you would notice something, though, in this parable. Jesus never identified a sower. He just said a sower went out to sow. We don't know who the sower is. Some have speculated that the sower is Jesus himself, and it may very well be. And they based that upon Matthew 
chapter 13, when Jesus gave the, def, not definition, but Jesus' explanation of the tares and the wheat. He said, the one who sowed the wheat is the son of man. It is I, if you will. So some have concluded, if that's the case, then Jesus here is the sower. And that may be true. Won't, won't, won't kick against that. I think the only difference in the parable is that in one, the wheat, especially the wheat and the tares, Jesus speaks of the seed as representing the children of God. And the tares is representing the children of the devil. And this parable right here, he speaks of the seed representing the word. Again, Jesus may be the one in focus. But I think the reason there is no name for the sower, because the point is not the focus on the messenger, but on the message. It's not so much the sower being identified. It's the message given and the response. So first we have the wayside hearers. The wayside hearers. In verse 4, And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. The fowls of the air came and devoured it up. As I said, the sower would walk along that beaten path, casting out his seeds, and the birds of the air would swoop it up or swoop them up and devour them. And Jesus speaking to farmers because they would understand exactly what Jesus is talking about. He's not speaking in mystery. They're not going, what in the world are he talking about? No, they understand farming. He describes these hearers as wayside or beaten path hearers. What is he talking about? They sit and listen to the word but they really have no interest in the word at all. They listen. They're beaten path hearers. They, they would rather be doing something else. Those things don't happen in churches. They are hard and resistant to the word. Beaten path. They hear it, but don't hear it. My mom used to say, did you hear what I just said? Parents have to ask that sometimes because children could kind of tune you out. They hear, but don't hear it. It's good practice to say, tell me what I just said to you. That's, you would know if they're paying attention or not. They are careless and may even sit and inwardly fight against the word. Beaten path hearers, wayside. They don't want it. They hear the word. It comes to their minds. Listen to what Jesus said. But Satan comes along right away and snatches the word away. But notice something. This is not happening. Listen, this does not happen prior to. It's happening while they're hearing it. He snatches the word away. He is there to take away everything they are hearing. The word doesn't even have, the seed doesn't even have time to germinate. He's there to take it away. 
It never sinks in. How we should be praying. That the word of God, when preached, would sink in for Germany. They hear it, but the birds scoop the word up. Next, Jesus gives us the stony ground hearer. Verse 5, he says, Some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up. This one went a little further. It's a, it's a, little, bit more, it's a little bit more distance. In verse 16, he said, These are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. That's a good thing. They receive the word with gladness. They go a little further. It has been taken with gladness, but there is something wrong. There's no root system. There's a reception, but no root system. Let me see if I can put it this way just to help you out a little bit. Stick with me. When the ground was plowed up, it would also move these limestones and rocks. And when the limestones would move, it just would be a thin layer of earth on top. And so when you threw the seed and it began to take root, so to speak, the limestones were in the way. And so instead of going down deep, it would spring up quickly. And it will look good and it will look promising, but it wouldn't last. Jesus is saying, they push down, but not far. There's a barrier in the way. Limestones, rocks, so it never takes root. So it shoots up, if you will, before time. We would see a little bit of green and then a little more. It looks like a thriving plant, if you will. There's one that was really growing. But then it would stop. He said, but when the sun came up, it would dry up. Why? Because it had no root. Such is the case sometimes in churches. They look promising. Some really look promising. They shoot up, but there's no root. They don't last long. They look promising. We hate to see that. They look good, but just for a little while. Sooner or later, they begin to wither away, dry up, and die. There are those who hear the word and who are excited. They are excited. But when the pressure of society comes, they dry up. All of a sudden, their view of the Bible and what it calls us to changes. When some begin to question them about the word, or when someone challenging them pertaining to what they believe, when trials come because of the word, they cave into the pressure. We hate seeing that. But it happens all the time. These stony ground hearers are temporary believers, part-time believers. They sing hymns. They attend church functions. They pray at prayer meetings. 
They can quote the scriptures. They even cry a little. But Jesus say, they are temporary believers. Come up and die down. Even are baptized. The scary thing is they have a thin layer of Christianity that looks like the real thing, especially on Sunday morning, while the heart is still rocky and stony. A thin layer of Christianity can make someone look like the real thing and even pass for the real thing, but God sees the rocks beneath the surface. So that's the stony ground here is very impressive, just not to God. And then you have the thorny ground here. The thorny ground here is, Jesus said in verse 7, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. Thorns also lurk beneath the surface, sometimes in seed form. It would grow up with the plant at times and sometimes outgrow the plant. Anybody tell any gardening? Man, I hate pulling weeds. Sometimes the weeds take over. Sometimes the children out there say, Daddy, can I, can I, can I, can we just keep this one? I said, that's a weed. I don't care if it has a flower on it. It's a weed. It has to go. Weeds can take over in no time. And they don't need help taking over. They just need for the, the, the yard or the garden to be neglected. And they will take over. But these weeds also lurk below the surface. It would hang out there. The seed the, or the weed would be fighting for soil, fighting for moisture, and fighting for nourishment, just like the plant. So instead of the plant thriving, weeds would thrive and choke them out. They understood exactly what Jesus was talking about. There are those then who hear the word but are occupied with other things that crowd out the word. <laughs> he said, the thorns grew up and choked it, crowding out the word. We may put it this way. They have weedy hearts and they're unfruitful. The cares of the world crowd up the word, Jesus said. They are filled with worry and anxiety about this life only. They are preoccupied with the affairs of this life. It's all they can talk about. Jobs, what's happening in the world, they are distracted. There's nothing wrong with talking about some of the things in the world. The only thing that matters is this life. This is where the treasure is. Cares of this world. Crowd out the word. Choke it. Then Jesus said the, deceitful, the deceitfulness or seduction of riches crowd out the world. They are just looking for wealth in order to be happy. And we should talk to some wealthy people. A lot of money and still unhappy. They think that this will satisfy everything and even give them comfort. Money is interesting. 
The more you have, the more you want, the more you get, the more you think you need to have. It's strange. They work extra hard to be impressive on the job so that they can get that big promotion. There's nothing wrong with promotions. But why do you want? Why? Maybe, 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 maybe it could be this way as I heard coming up. I want, to, I want the promotion. I want to do well, and we want to do well so that our children won't have to struggle. You mean so they won't have to work hard? <laughs> I think that's what we mean. I don't want my children to struggle. You mean you don't want them to work hard? I don't understand our thinking sometimes. God commanded us to work. We need to teach our children that work is a good thing. Hard work is a good thing. We have to teach them that. Not just simply playing around. Nothing wrong with some play too. I, I, I try to do some sometimes. But we need to teach them to work hard for the glory of God. Some even want promotion so that they can bear witness of the goodness of God. There's nothing wrong with that either. Bearing witness of the goodness of God. But you need to be bearing witness of the goodness of God now, even if you don't get a promotion. Right now. So we have the thorny ground here and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word. Dear people, we have to be careful of the deceitfulness of riches. Have to be. They crowd out the word. And then Jesus tells us the lust, third, the lust of other things crowd out the word. Not only the cares of this world, and we have cares, not only the deceitfulness of riches, but the lust of other things. Crowd out the world. Word. There is the craving or desire after other things. One of the things, listen, one of the things that can crowd out the word, crowd out the word, is social media. <laughs> listen. They're always coming up with a new platform. If it's not TikTok, it's something else. Always. To, if I could put it this way, we have to understand something. We, don't want, we want to use this word without abusing it. But do you understand that society is going after your mind? Do you understand that? We have everything to keep us away from this book. Everything. And there's a nonstop going on for that. Social media, while it can be used for the glory of God, only the day of judgment will show forth how many wasted hours were spent on social media. It's not really that social. The largest nation in the world, you know what the largest nation in the world is? Do you know? The largest nation in the world? I know you're ready to say China. It's actually Facebook. Largest nation in the world, Facebook, 2.9 billion. Facebook have bypassed China and India, the largest nation. All of our energies spent on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, WeChat, and the list goes on. 
hours and hours and hours. We are glued to that little device, which is helpful. You know what I'm talking about. That device is making a lot of us dumb smartphones. Glued to it. We got to sleep with it. <laughs> Can't go to sleep without having it under your pillow. What kind of nonsense? Well, let me stop. Go on to something else, Clarence. We are addicted to the phone. Did you know that? We are addicted. Do you see my phone? What, 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 what? Phone, 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 phone. We'd drive across the country if we left our phone. Nothing wrong with having a cell phone. It comes in handy. But I think we have come to the place as a society where the phone controls us. We don't control the phone. Folks don't even look up anymore. Lady was, older lady, was on her smartphone walking just like this and fell in a hole. We're not even paying attention anymore. A man was on his motorcycle, motorcycle, texting on the phone. He's no more. Why would you text on the phone? Why would you text on a motorcycle? We are insane. We are intoxicated. Our phones, while they are helpful, I think have become addictive in so many, so many ways. We live and breathe now as a society, even as a world, by an electronic device. These things can choke the word. These things can push out the word. When you get up in the morning, the first thing you grab is that device, Uncontrolled texting can choke out the word. Time, hours spent on Facebook can choke out the word. Overindulging in entertainment can choke out the word. There's so many ways in our day to choke out the word. God gets this much time. Social media gets all the time. Video game playing, choke out the word. It's a thorny ground here, weedy ground here. Same old rut. There's no growing in the reading of the word, and we should be growing. There's no growing praying to the God of the word. There's no growing and singing to the God of the Word. There's no growing and walking with the God of the Word. There's no growing and loving the God of the Word. There's no growing and fellowshipping with the people of the God of the Word. Just no growing. The cares crowded out the Word. There's no growing in confession and repenting of sin. No growing and coming to hear the word more eagerly. Cares, riches, deceitfulness, lust for other things, choke out the word. And we become, as Jesus says, unfruitful. We keep saying, right? We keep saying, we all do it to some degree. 
How's your prayer life? Well, I know I ought to, you know, be praying more. That's not what I asked you. How's your reading? I know I ought to be reading more. How's your witnessing for Christ? I know I ought to be witnessing. When are we going to do what we ought to do? When are we going to do it? If you and I know we ought to be doing these things, why don't we do these things? James said, he that knows to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. We ought to be growing in these things. But I'm saying to you, and I'm preaching to me, you just get to hear it. These things can choke out the word. Surfing the internet. Doesn't have to be Facebook, just spending time just searching the internet. I love books. <laughs> you can search the internet all day looking for books that you will, you're not even going to buy. Reading reviews that you don't even have time to read. Getting another book that you don't have time to read. We can spend hours upon hours spending time, wasting time. We can do it. It's easy to do. Amazing when you got the world at your fingertip, right? These things can choke out the word. There are people I would argue that we need as much as the word of God as possible, especially in this day and age. As much as the word of, of God is possible, we need to be gripped by the word and we want the word to grip us. We need our thinking constantly transformed, constantly renewed. Listen. You got an evangelist out there. Understand how I'm handling the word. You got an evangelist out there called the world. It's ministering to you all the time. Just not good. All the time. You go inside the grocery store or the gas station. They don't ask you about the music you want to listen to. Did they ever do that? I, that, ne that has never happened to me. I've never walked in Walmart and they say, excuse me, Mr. Simmons. Uh, is that song okay you play? We're playing? You okay with that or do you want us to change it? Never. <laughs> There, listen, you and I are being evangelized every day. You go down the interstate, billboards are everywhere. It's going after your mind and mine. We need to fill our minds with the word of God if we are going to stand in this day, if we are not going to be squeezed out by the cares of this life. We have to have it. We have to. Young people, you got to have it even when you don't understand it. Listen, we as adults don't understand everything in the Word of God, but see, we read the portion you don't understand as well. God, sooner or later, will bring it to light. We cannot argue by saying that we don't have enough time. Listen, don't, we can't argue and say we don't have enough time. The Lord just convict me. Saying, man, just not enough hours in the day. What's wrong with you? Talking to the creator like that. Not enough hours in a day? He said, 24 hours. You got enough hours. I know exactly what I was doing. How are you spending the hours? There's nothing wrong that we don't have enough time. Oh, we have plenty of time. Let me see if I can give you a, a little illustration of it. You and I get 168 hours a week. 168. How are we spending that? Let's see if we can break it down a little more. If we slept 56 hours a week, that's eight hours, seven days a week, 
And guess what? It's rare that people sleep actually eight hours. But let's just say eight hours, seven days a week, 56 hours. You still have 112 left. Just let's say, let's throw in something else. You work 40 hours a week. You still have 72 hours left. So we've taken out your sleeping and your working. Well, let's just go a little further. Let's say you use 20 to 30 more hours a week for eating and cleaning up. That's a lot of hours for eating and cleaning up. But let's say that. Maybe you stayed at the table a little longer than you were supposed to. So you got 20 or 30 hours of eating and cleaning up. You still have 42 to 52 hours left. You got plenty of time. What are we doing with that time? Oh, God has given us way, he's given up more than enough time. It's how we're using that time, how we're spending our time is the issue. We have it. I know I'm good at wasting time or spending too much time on something I shouldn't spend a lot of time on. Have to have some time we have to say, I got to quit. I got to stop. My wife knows I work on a project, I get on it, and I'll work on it forever if I could. But at some point, you have to say, that's it, I'm done. The children <laughs> heard me say that many times. It's children, this is it, we're done. Just to cut off, the, we're done. We're not done, we get that next time. <laughs> we're done, we're done, we're done. You and I have to be careful of not letting anything, 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 swallow up, swallow up the word of God. Crowd out the word of God. We have to be on guard against that. We have to. If not, we're not going to be, if we're a believer, we're not going to be as fruitful. But then Jesus gives us this good ground here. Good ground here. He tells us... And some fell on good ground and did yield fruit and sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold in verse 8. These are they which heard the word. Notice, heard the word. They embraced the word. They walked in the word and they brought forth fruit. Not just receive, but receive and heeded the word, actually walked in the word, brought forth fruit. You notice in the, par- in the parable, the sower did absolutely nothing except sow the seed. That's all he did. The sower did nothing with the ground. He can't do anything. That's, that, that's why I think Jesus kept it general. It could be any preacher. He cannot do anything with the ground. Just throw out the seed. That's all he could do. The ground... And even the seed itself has to be worked on by another. But it can't be worked on by the sower. The sower sees the seed. The seed goes below the surface. And the work is actually done by another. That's what Paul says. I plant, Paul's water, but God actually does the work. They brought forth some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. We would also know that this ground is fruitful. We would also notice that there is nothing wrong with the seed. 
Every single category, every single group heard the word. Heard the word. The word wasn't changed at all. It's the ground that's the problem. These are those that heard the word, heard with joyful sound the gospel message that Jesus saved. Jesus saved. And what did they do? They ran to the Savior. They heard the old, old story as we used to sing way back, how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. They heard about his groaning and his precious blood atoning. They repented of their sins and won the victory. Yeah, they sing, oh, victory in Jesus, the Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is to him. And even do him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. But we have to ask a question. How did that ground get good? So it didn't do it. The seed had no problem. How did the ground get good? If we have a wayside and a stony ground and a thorny ground, but we get to, the, we get to this good ground, how did that ground get good? I think I, hopefully I can tell you. The ground got good because of a great gardener. God himself who gives the new heart, pulling out stony hearts and giving hearts of flesh so that those who receive this surgery procedure or surgical procedure will believe on the great shepherd. He did it. It lets us know that the strength is not in the sower. That puts us in a humble place. But it lets us know also that the results are not in the sower. Results actually are in the gardener. God himself. (laughs) We can't manufacture the seed. That didn't happen here. We can't repackage the seed. That didn't happen here. We can't uh, change the seed. That did not happen here. We just keep the seed the same and just do our job of throwing the seed out. Now, why did I say this, and why did I do this tonight? Because I think if Mount Zion Bible Church is going to stand, you have to sow the seed untouched. That's why. You have to continue to sow the seed of the Word of God and leaving the results to God himself. Furthermore, I think also as we hear the Word of God, we just can't hear only. Hearing the word of God is good, but it's not enough. Hearing and acting on the word is what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to act on the word, and he calls us to bring forth fruit. Notice there's a difference. There may be different degrees, some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold, but those who receive the word and act on the word ought to be growing to some degree. This is never meant here. This place is never meant for us just to stand and just give words pertaining to truth with no one acting on it. You have the great privilege of hearing the word of God faithfully preach as far as we understand. Don't take that for granted. Don't sit and just take that for granted. Some people don't have that privilege. You have the great privilege of hearing men call you to Jesus Christ, 
call you to that great shepherd, call you for cleansing of your own soul, call you for sin covering. Don't take those things for granted. You have men telling you, but there's a heaven to win and a hell to flee from. But in reality, if we're honest, sometimes we don't believe those things are true. If we believe that heaven was a place of glory and majesty and beauty and cleansing, if you will, of freedom from sin and glorious activity and in the presence of Almighty God, who would not want to go there? And if we talked about hell being that horrible place where people hate one another and you under the wrath of Almighty God, all the mercies that you experience in this life are all gone. Who would want to go to that place? But if you don't believe that, you are not going to come to the Savior. If you don't believe that, you're not going to want the Savior. And if you don't believe that, this world has the message for you. It'll tell you about the attraction that it has here. It was not going to tell you that God is going to destroy here. It'll tell you that you could go on forever and ever in pleasure. Just live it out now. But it's not going to tell you about the hereafter. It's not going to tell you about forgiveness of sins. Because they don't have anything to confess, so the world thinks. So it'll tell you about all this temporary pleasures like cotton candy. It tastes good to you, but it's not good for you. It's not lasting. It's not going to tell you about the glory of Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice on behalf of sinners. It's not going to tell you about a perfect righteousness that God requires that you must have if you are going to go to glory. It'll tell you about the right now. Tell you about all the things you can enjoy right now. All the sinning you can do right now. All the staying away from God you can do right now. Because, see, if you go to God, you can't do all the sinning stuff. And we believe the sinning stuff is what you need. That's the world's voice. Satan's behind it. My friends, brothers and sisters, friends, if we believe what Jesus has said in this parable, it's pretty scary. If we really believe it. Jesus, so you can sit there and hear the word. Jesus has been traveling throughout Jerusalem, preaching, preaching, preaching. You don't have a better preacher. Saying truth, truth, truth. And he had wayside hearers, stony ground hearers, thorny ground hearers, and good ground hearers. Some received, some rejected what he said. I tell you the truth, said Christ, and they still didn't believe. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen to the gracious words. Jesus said, come, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. But that's not all. You will find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. Come unto me. It's a welcome. It's also a command. But it's a welcome to the Savior. We say we don't want that. 
The Lord said to Israel a long time ago, Oh, why, why, why would you die? Oh, house of Israel, why? That's the question. They never give an answer. Why would you die, O house of Israel? Turn and live. What mercy. Why would we ever paint a picture of God like a monster? And he said, turn and live. Brother Clarence, the way God operates is not fair. It's just not fair. My friend, let me tell you something. You don't want God to be fair with you. <laughs> you don't want God to be fair with you. And he is a fair God full of equity. But you don't want God to be fair with you because if God dealt fairly with you, you would be in hell. To deal fair with you when you're in Jesus Christ because everything been poured upon him to set sinners free and to give them a glorious standing before the Father. So Jesus has instructed us and his audience that you can hear the word of God four different ways. Same word, four different ways. You can hear it, kind of just daze off and let the birds eat it all up. Or you can hear it and say, yes, but there's no root. You don't even dig. You spring up and all of a sudden you're gone. And you can hear it and let all the cares of this life choke everything out and you're not even fruitful. Or you can hear it and receive it and walk in it and bring forth fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. May God help us, help us, help the congregation here to bring forth fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. May people walk through the door of visitors and say, I know they're not perfect people, but I see some fruit hanging on a tree. Now I'm walking in and everything's dry and dead. Oh, let us heed the word of God as Brother Jeff preaches his heart out. May our preaching not be in vain. May your hearing not be in vain. If you're coming to the service not to heed the word of God, why are you coming? Why are you coming? What's the purpose? If we're coming to the word of God, not to do or the worship of Almighty God, not to do what it says. Why are we even coming? Why are we gathering? If our desire is to hear and just to say we had a good time, but we're not going to do any of these things, why do we gather? If we come like they were in Ezekiel's day, Oh, son of man, they're talking about you over there. Listen, they said, that boy sure can preach. Listen, he says some good things. He sounds like one on an instrument. He can play lovely. And they hear the word, but they're not going to do it. We don't want that at all. I want to be faithful to the end. Brother Jeff, the sow is sowed. And that's your job to do. The sow. We leave the result to Almighty God. He works on the soil. He nourishes the seed. He works under the soil when only we can see on top. And that's what we have to have. Now I ask just a couple of questions and then we're done. How do you respond to the word when you hear it? That's my question. This is a simple question. How do you respond to the word when you hear it? 
There's a response. Lord, I want to do that. Strengthen me. Or is the response, I can care less about it. What is your response? Second, which of these grounds describe you? Which of these grounds describe you? May God strengthen us to know his son, whom to know his life, and that by his power and grace, we would bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you again that you are so gracious to us. Lord God, you give us what we need because you know what we need. Father, help us. Help us, our Father, not to let the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things squeeze out the word, squeeze out prayer, squeeze out the importance of gathering. Father, just squeeze out even our thoughts of you. God, help us. Help us in the renewing of our minds to be more like Jesus, to love more like Jesus, to live more like Jesus. Lord, we need you. There's a world that's after us like a bloodhound. Help us. Help us to fill our minds with the, rep, with the weaponry like you have given us. And Father, to do battle, to stay on guard, and to fight a good warfare. Now hear our prayer. Bless our young people. Be gracious to them. And help them in their understanding of spiritual things. Lift them up on high, we pray. Hear us. Hear us. Oh, Father, we pray again for Sister Myra. Lord, please help her body. Be gracious to the doctors tomorrow. And Father, we pray that the end results will be, <clears throat> will be well. Do what only you can do and what the doctors cannot do. Heal our sister and help her. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand. <clears throat> now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. God be with you till we meet again.